All right. Wessel, would you mind praying for us, sir? I'd love to. Lord, thank you for you, thank you for bringing us together this morning and for the um, the joy and the the wonders of community. Thank you that there's power once you and more gather in your name. So we ask that uh, we would receive that power from you and that you would give us wisdom and guidance as we learn um, from previous uh, followers of the faith. So we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know if that's on. Say no. Uh, I don't know. Well, hello, everyone. Morning. 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 Okay, so we're on chapter four. The job's done. Chapter three. He wanted to come in here, but now he sees all these adults, and now he's intimidated. <laughs> now he's looking to see if the table was broken. No, he wants, he wants to go to class. Really. All right, so let's see. What is, what is it that Christians believe about the evil power? The evil power? Tower? Tower. <laughs> Are we on chapter three? Or four. Chapter four, correct? Chapter four of the, the second, second book. Part. So the shocking alternative. The shocking alternative. We're going to get to the amazing and fantastic trilemma. Mm. That's what Wait. ultimately he goes in this. The he's evil prepping power us. Was was originally good. The evil power was originally good. Yes. Okay. And. He says it in the very first paragraph. He's talking about Satan. Remember when he, he closed the last chapter with um, the fact that Satan is who he's talking about, and if you don't like that, you can go away. Oh, yeah? Yeah, if you really want to, you will know what he's like. Hmm. So he, le- he left off with Satan, and so he picks up in the very next uh, talk with Satan. So Christians believe that an evil power has made himself, for the present, the prince of this world. Now, you know, this is one of those things he just says, but I actually want to talk about this a little bit because they, they have several references to Satan in, in the Bible that are confusing. They call him the god of this world. They call him the prince of this world. Mm-hmm. Now, do you, what do you guys think about that? What do you think that means? What does it mean that he's the prince of this world? What does it mean that he's the god of this world? He was cast out of heaven, wasn't he? Cast to earth and given earth as a place to live. Well, um, yeah. What do you mean by that? See, this is what I want to talk about. What what happened? At what point in the scriptures does it say what happened to Satan? It doesn't, does it? Really? There's not a lot. There's not a lot. There's a place there's 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 right? There's a place yeah. Very yeah. much. So when did Satan fall? This is one of the questions. In the timeline of events, when did it happen? Must have happened early on. <laughs> I think we have to assume it was before Adam and Eve, or yeah. Right. Yeah. after yeah. they were created. Yeah, because right. he shows before? up in the garden. Right. Could they have not have happened before they were created? I mean, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Right. Do the Bible have, doesn't, doesn't say. Matter. But see, and so this is why we're having this conversation. <laughs> Good thing I brought this up. So Satan fell at exactly the same time Adam fell. There you go. Oh, okay. Now, here's why I say that. If you go to the beginning of, book of, of the book of Job, okay, there is God in heaven, and they have what they call the council of heaven. Okay, there's the whole council of God gathering together, and they talk about this in the Psalms. There's these, these spiritual beings that are like gods. Okay? So the Egyptian gods. Behind the Egyptian gods were what? Fallen angels. Behind the Assyrian gods were what? Fallen angels. So there, there are these... This is why God is the god of gods. He's not... There aren't other gods. He's not the god of gods. It doesn't make any sense. So in the beginning of the book of Job, you have this council. 
and God and Satan are discussing right. Job, right? So that, why is it that God and Satan are just hanging out together, chatting it up? Does that seem Does a little seem incongruous with the rest of the story? Okay, so, so Satan's job is to ask questions. That's his job. So, so he comes, and he, he goes to work on Job, and the whole book of Job is about Job asking a bunch of questions about God. Mm-hmm. So, so in one sense, Satan is the catechizer of God. He is the one who comes to man and catechizes him in his faith. Now, Satan comes to Jesus, right, in the wilderness, and what does he start doing? Asking Same. questions. Asking questions. So he comes to the garden, and there's Eve, and does Eve say, Oh my gosh, a snake! And run away. No. She doesn't say, why are you talking? She's, I thought it was a serpent. Well, snake, serpent, whatever. Yeah. Dragon. Dragon. We can say whatever word you want that's reptilian. <laughs> so a reptile came. A reptile. Is that or what some... the Hebrew word is? Reptile? No, no, it's snake or dragon. Okay. Or serpent. In Old English, I like it. It's worm. Uh, yeah. The worm. So the worm comes and he starts catechizing. And he uses his, his position as a catechizer to create, instead of the positive side of faith, the negative side of faith. He creates doubt. He creates unbelief in, the per, in their minds. Now, did Eve and Adam have an answer for, for the snake? Yes, they did. They did have an answer, but they didn't give it to him, right? They went along with his program. So, so in, I think that you know a, a lot of Christians and a lot of theology is been a lot of time has been spent trying to figure out when the fall happened. Well, I think the most logical explanation is that he fell at the same time Adam did. Okay? So then he's placed in, right, who's put in charge of the garden once man is kicked out? Now, wait a minute. Oh! He fell at the same time Adam did, right. and what about Eve? Because Eve, he tempted Eve first before Adam fell. Mm-hmm. So he had to have fallen. Right, so he's, so he's asking a question. He's asking a question of Eve, which is what he, his job is. Mm-hmm. So, so what would have happened if she would have given the right answer? Nothing. Well, we don't we know. Don't know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but she fell. Well, she didn't fall. She, Eve, Eve, she disobeyed. Well, that, there's, there's a difference between disobeying and falling. Eve can't oh, fall because she's not the head of a, of a race. Mm-hmm. The fall of man doesn't happen until Adam falls. Mm-hmm. Okay, why do, you, why do you think it uh, was Satan's job to ask questions? What, where, do you, where does that come from? It comes from the scriptures where that's what he's always doing. Right? In Job, that's what he's doing. When he comes to Jesus, that's what he's doing. So you think he, he, his, his job as one of the angels was to ask mankind questions? Yeah. You think you're supposed to go around earth asking questions? I, I think he's the catechizer so, of God. Mm-hmm. So he did that. He didn't ask questions that God wanted him to ask. Well, he pro- I, I don't know about that. I'm saying I don't know. He, no. No, he's asking questions. Okay. Then why did he fall if he's doing what God wants him to do? Well, um, why? You tell me. Why did he fall? Okay. Well, you just said I asked if those questions that he was asking were not the ones you're supposed to be asking. Well, no, no, no. No, I'm sorry. You're at, you asked a whole bunch of questions at the same time. Okay. Well, I he I'm, comes, I'm, I'm a kid to somebody comes, else we're talking about. Yeah, he comes and he asks questions. Okay. He uses his position to ask questions to elevate himself over God. Okay. Now, is he supposed to come and ask questions? Yes, I do. I believe he's supposed to. That's, his, that's what he's always doing in Scripture. Mm-hmm. He's coming and he's asking questions. Now, he uses in this instance the opportunity 
to unseat man and replace man with angels because angels are put in charge of the garden after man. Okay? So at, he's, he, for what, and we're not told a, a great deal about it. In Ezekiel, it tells us a little bit about it. It's, it's, it tells us a little bit about his motivations. And his motivations are that he, he was beautiful and that he was proud and that he sought things that were not his, right? He, he sought some way to be happy apart from God. That's what C.S. Lewis argues. Well, what made him happy apart from God was being king himself. Now, medieval theologians argue that he was offended by the fact that God, instead of making the angels the kings of the earth, made man the kings of the earth. And he was offended by this because man is ugly <laughs> and small and weak compared to an angel. But I, that's, I think, going further than what scripture allows. He clearly was arrogant and proud and sought some other way to, to, to be happy apart from God. And so he uses his position to, to ask questions to, 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 create, to sow doubt, right? Because he isn't omnipresent. He isn't omnipowerful. He, isn't, he does not go around tempting every person in human, every person at the same time. He can't because he's, he's limited. He's a limited being. So what he has to do is corrupt us so that we, in a sense, go around and we're corrupted now. We're tempting ourselves. So like, this, people like to blame Satan for a great deal of things that they do themselves. So people are at home and, you know, people are at home and they're, they're making a decision to tempt temptation, right? To empty head, like the empty headed man in Proverbs 7, going by the, the horse house. He's tempting temptation in that regard. Satan has nothing to do with it. It's the man putting himself in the way of sin. Okay, and that's what humans do, and that's, that was the plan, because if you corrupt man, then you don't have to be at all places at all times. Man's corrupted all by himself. So he, he steals the earth from man. Okay? Are we in agreement now, or do you guys have more questions about this? It, it doesn't, this isn't a matter of orthodoxy in the sense you agree with everything I say. But there is a great deal about this that people, it's like um, other parts of scripture. When you, when you ask most Christians how many animal, of each animal were there on the boat, everyone says two. Because what they've done is they, yeah, see, because of the clean animals, there was more than there were of the unclean animals. But most of us have seen the posters, and we've not read the, the scriptures very carefully. When it comes to Satan and who he is and what he's doing and how he, became, he came to be this way, what, what you actually don't, what you have is a lot of fluff. Fluff and stuff, I call it. When you don't really sit, most people don't really sit down and consider the facts of who Satan is all along. Okay? And, and um, can I ask another question? Yeah, by all means. Okay, so Satan falls, if, doesn't matter, Satan falls at some point in time, all these angels that fell with him, where are they suddenly, where are they in this story? Because we, from what I understand, Satan's not the only one out there. Nope. He's got a whole horde. Yep. That accompanied him. Yes, and that is, and those um, fallen angels become the gods and goddesses of the, of the, no, of the non-religions. So behind the, the throne of right. So in Greek, in Greek, Greece, sorry, they have these gods. Well, are there really right at the, at the you go to Apollo's uh, temple? Is there really a power at Apollo's temple? That's the. It's a good question. Is there really something there that can actually do supernatural things? Well, we know that because the Egyptians did it. Yes, right? How did the Egyptians, how were they able to do the same kind of miracles Moses did? So the fallen host of angels now who want to go with Satan are thrown down 
and, and they're put over, uh, they're put in charge of the earth. So this is why later, like this is why, he, this is why Satan is referred to as the prince of the earth. He, he's the king of the earth. So when man is kicked out of the garden, what do they? What does God put in at the front door to protect it? An angel and flaming swords. An angel of flaming swords. Okay, so so you enter at the fall, what we call the age of angels. Okay, so then the whole rest of the Old Testament are these nations whose gods are fighting, just like man is fighting. So. Um, for an example, right, we learned in Samuel, they take, hello, Justin. <laughs> so they take the ark and they take it into the temple of Dagon. Remember this story? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what happened to Dagon? He falls over. He falls over, right? So all through the Old Testament, you have these wars between the gods. Mm -hmm. And then so Homer writes a story about this little city called Troy in which the nations are fighting, right? The Trojans are fighting the Greeks. But who's really fighting in heaven? The gods. The gods are. Mm -hmm. And that's why, this is what C.S. Lewis says, about the, the lies breathed through, through silver. These, these mythology, this mythology that you have actually is full of a lot of truth. And, and for me, when you, if you think about the Greek myths and the fact that the gods are fighting in heaven while the people are fighting on the earth, that actually helps me understand a lot of what goes on in the Old Testament. Because you get to Joshua and you're like, and, and I love that story, I don't, I, I'm not sure where in Joshua it is, but, but they get whooped in the fields, right? You guys have heard me talk about this. They get whooped in the fields and like, well, their God is a God of fields. So let's go in the woods and beat them. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, their God, God is a God of woods too. Their God must be the God of gods because our God is the God of all gods. He's the God of everywhere. So when C.S. Lewis talks about the fact that Satan is the prince of this world, this is what they're referring to. There's a hierarchy. And, and when man fell and Satan fell, Whenever that may have been, I think it was simultaneous. You have this, it, it, it fractured the hierarchy. And so you have angels in charge of the earth, okay? And, and, and what eventually happens by the time Jesus comes? Is, the, is there, um, is there a, a Christian nation, or a, a Yahweh-fearing nation on the planet by the time Jesus comes? That has its own nation, own kingdom, own king, own laws? No. Okay? So when Satan offers the kingdoms of the world to Jesus, he's mm -hmm. actually offering him something because he's one. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the Old Testament is the story where the angels actually went out. Okay? And, and you go, again, this is, if you look at the archangel Michael, he comes, he fights several times on behalf of Israel, and he loses. <laughs> and so the angels have failed. So in Hebrews, it talks about the fact that Jesus was sent lower than the angels in the hierarchy. And this is what they're talking about. He, he's like, okay, it's not worked. It hasn't worked. So now what we're going to do is we're going to send Jesus. And Jesus is going to win the world back for man. And so he comes lower than the angels in the hierarchy. And he fights a war against Satan and beats him. And, and, and partially, um, you can see in this all these demons who are possessing people at this high mark of spiritual warfare in the world, they recognize who Jesus really is. Yes. And they're terrified, right? They recognize who he is because they've seen him on his throne. And, and they know that he's just, um, he's come in the flesh and he's, he's hiding there in the flesh, right? He's, he's hidden in the flesh. But they can see who he really is. And that's why they're so terrified. And so this war that is going on, it... When, when, when Jesus is here and he casts out these demons and he, he wrestles the house from the strong man, it's the culmination of this war that started in the garden when Adam, when Adam was attacked by Satan. Okay? And it was carried all the way through until another man could come and put Satan down. Second Adam. Yeah, and so, you know, the principalities and powers of the air, 
the prince of this world, this is this language that they use in the New Testament, is because Satan, it's not, it's not metaphorical. Satan actually has a position. He actually has authority. He actually has dignity even as a ruler. But he's a ruler that needs to be put down. Yeah. Okay, so this is this invasion language that C.S. Lewis is using. This is what's in his mind. And remember, he's a medievalist, so he's very, very into the medievalist, um, um, the medievalist the- theology of angels and demons and the war that was going on. And it's something that modern evangelicals don't know really very much about at all. But to him, this was a war, um, and and that's why he likes mythology because it's talking about the same war that the Old Testament is talking about. It's just talking about it from a pagan perspective. Does this make sense? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm going back a bit. Oh, you ask. You ask away, Laura. <laughs> you you said mankind did not fall until Adam sinned. Yeah. So if Eve had eaten of the fruit mm-hmm. and Adam hadn't, you're saying they'd still be in the garden. Mm-hmm. So I can sin and there's no consequence. consequence. No, because you're... You just said a woman. She's not responsible. I said Eve. I didn't say... Eve was not responsible. I said Eve. I'm... (laughs) But see, but now you're a descendant of Adam. So it's different. I'm also a descendant of Eve, who was innocent. Okay, well... (laughs) So so she was deceived. And being deceived is not the same thing as as falling. So I could just say all my sins are because I was deceived. I'm a stupid female and I'm deceived. Well, I mean, you could say that, but that's but not very I don't think that's very true either. That's not very orthodox. <laughs> I'm not stupid, you know, I'm right. just a female, so I'm right. It's not very orthodox. Because, <laughs> right? Because Eve wasn't the head of the race, Adam was. So Adam falls, the human race falls. So, so there is a moment where Eve eats the apple, and there's Adam, and he could have saved his wife. Now, now again, we don't know. What, what could he have done to have rescued her from this deception? Okay, because I think people don't understand what the fall is. She says, we're not even allowed to touch it, which isn't true. Okay? It's not true. It's actually not a true statement. But yet the fall hasn't occurred yet. The fall happens in Adam. And if you read Romans 4 and 5, that's what the whole, right? The the apostles are very clear about this. Adam is the one who causes man to fall. And every man and woman since then has fallen in Adam. Eve, at, at this point, was not the head of the race. And so her issues are different than his issues. They're different things. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the fall was like... (laughs) (laughs) Laura, you're awesome. Romans 4 and 5. Thank you. Well, the whole chapters i got to read. Well, I mean, I would actually go back... There's a great deal I would read in the New Testament about headship, federal headship, and the fall in Adam. Okay, so I just wanted to talk about this because C.S. Lewis uses this invasion language... And I think that if you, if you don't know what he's talking about, it just seems like a happy metaphor that he's using. He's referring to the war that's currently going on. But he's talking about Satan invading the earth and taking, wresting it from mankind, and then Jesus has to come and wrest it away from him. Yeah. That, that's what all of that language is about. Okay. Um, now if we move on to this next section. What, what happens when you make something voluntary? You have a choice. Yeah. Yeah, you have a choice, right? You have a choice to do what? If something is voluntary... You can do it or not. You can do it or not. Now, how does he work this? What's his metaphor that he uses? He uses several different metaphors to explain this. One, he uses a a parent. A parent. Telling the child, I would like you to do this. Mm -hmm. And then discovers the child hasn't done it. You, You didn't... Yeah. You didn't physically make the child do it. Right. So the child chose not to. Yeah. Exactly. So if, if, if you don't have a choice to obey or not, it's not a free choice. 
Now, what, what we get into some very deep waters very quickly here, and you have to be very careful, because now we're talking about the two, the, there's two wills of God, right? The, there's the God-ordained-all-things will, right? Everything that happens is according to his will. But a great deal that happens is not, that does not happen according to his will. So you have to make a distinction between decrees and, and like the ultimate purposes of God and will of God, and then what he tells us to do in his household. Okay, now that you're in my household, I want you to not steal. But then you steal, so you violated his law. So it is possible to violate his, his will in that level, the law level. But it's not impossible to violate his will in the decree level. Okay, I can't undo the decrees of God. Um, whatever is going to happen tomorrow is going to happen tomorrow, and I can't stop it. Okay, and, and, and we learn from the Greek myths that if, the more I try to stop it from happening is probably how I will bring it about. <laughs> so, so there, you know, free will is very important to C.S. Lewis, and this is, this is an idea that he gets from Aquinas. Okay, it, we do not want to consider man to be automatons. And I think it's very hard for Calvinists or evangelicals who get into Calvinism to, to be able to explain the fact that it is free choice, right? We're so into this argument about free will and how it doesn't exist. If you go, if you go too far with the free will doesn't exist, what you do is you just make man machines. And we're not machines. We can decide to do something. And God wanted a world in which we could decide because that's what he wants. He wants us to choose him. He, does, he doesn't want to force us. He does not force our will according to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Because what kind of God would he be if he did force our will? Wouldn't be a good God. He would <laughs> he'd be a dictator. Yeah, he'd be a dictator. You know, having yeah. do everything he says, and if he didn't, he'd make you do it. And I mean, we intuitively understand this, right? We, we, we read history, and we read about some poor girl who's forced into a, a marriage with a man that's uh, directed by her their parents. Now, is mm-hmm. it, and, and, and under, that, that's not as loving as a woman who chooses a man, Right. right? And, and the, this trope in stories, we all, nobody wants to have things forced upon them, right? We don't want to be forced into a shotgun wedding with Jesus. We want to come to him willingly. And, and coming to him willingly is more beautiful than being forced to do it. And, and he, I think, explains this really well with the mother, right? The mother wants them to tidy up uh, the, the, playroom. the playroom, and they don't. And she, but, but if they can't decide to do it, she's not teaching them anything. And this is what parenting is like, right? We want our kids to do all kinds of things. And, and their free choice is what we're working on. You, we want you to want this too. We want you to love this too. And we're working on their hearts. We're working on their affections. And, and it's the same thing with the Lord God. He's working on our affections. He's not forcing our hand. Um, okay, so what is the happiness that God has designed for the higher creatures? He makes this distinction between higher and lower creatures which I think a lot of people these days would be offended by. Hmm. Um, right? What, what's a low creature? A worm. A worm. A worm can't be. Well, he actually uses a cow. He, he you uses know, a cow, cow first. very good or very bad. And then he says a cat actually is a higher creature than a cat. Well, I thought, oh, okay, that was a dog. <laughs> a dog is a higher creature because it can be, you know, it's got a little more brains and it can be better than a cow and also can be naughtier than a cow. Yeah. True. Yeah, true. And and so, I mean, Steve and I were just talking about this yesterday. Could you imagine if horses had free wills and reason like we do? Who would stop them? I mean, like, forget Jurassic Park. The world would be run by horses. They're like 1,500-pound things that are actually very smart, that have a high power of endurance. Imagine if they could reason. 
kick really I would be a little terrified yeah. to run my horses. Right? Who can stop them? Dolphins. Dolphins. <laughs> We're not that far from dolphins. Yeah, so man, uh, man was made to rule the animals. And so God makes the, this hierarchy. He loves hierarchy and structure. So he creates a hierarchy in the animal kingdom. But what is the happiness that God has designed for the highest creatures of all? Who are the highest creatures of all? Man. Man. Okay, what, what is he designed for us? What's the delight that he wants for us? Choice? No, nope. it's a relationship with him. Relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Which includes choice. How does he put it? Yeah, um, I'm trying to see where he... Is it in the next chapter, practical solution? or? No, the better... Uh, yeah, no, let me see. Oh, it's, oh, God designed the human machine to run on himself? The happiness which God designs for his higher creatures is the happiness of being freely, voluntarily united to him and to each other in an ecstasy of love and delight compared with which the most rapturous love between a man and woman on this earth is mere milk and water. <laughs> and for that, we must be free. Yeah, is that in chapter 5 or 4? Four? 4. Yeah, we, we're, we haven't made it very far. Or no, we're on a shocking all, alternative. Chapter 3. Am I on the wrong chapter? No, chapter 4 is the perfect penitent. No, we haven't gotten there yet. You're confusing me, Laura. <laughs> I guess I got it. Shocking alternative. Shocking alternative. Yeah. So he, he wants us to be free so that we can have this ultimate relationship with him. That's what he ultimately wants. Now, can a cat have that kind of relationship with God? Yeah. Now, why can't a cat? He can't reason. Okay. He, he can't reason. He can't really choose God. We don't think they have free choice. Yeah, we don't think they have free choice, right? A cat doesn't. And, and I mean, this is what Psalm 19 is about, right? Nature just declares the glory of God. It doesn't have a choice. Um, another psalm talks about the fact that the animals look to God to feed them and take care of them. But but they're they're not like setting up altars, right? There's no cat has ever set up an altar, um, because they can't. They don't understand it that way. We can't. We can set up altars, which means we can also set up false altars. And it's and it's that free choice which makes the relationship that much more potent and powerful and, lo and loving and gracious. Okay. Um, and here's another interesting one that he makes. I just want to bring it up. Why can't a river rise higher than its source? Gravity. Thank you. Yes. Right? <laughs> if there's water and it's at a certain elevation point and this is the source of the water here and it flows down, it can never rise higher than its starting point. Okay. And so this is, and what, what, how does he use this metaphor? Thank you, Justin. <laughs> how does he use this metaphor? What does he compare that to? Water can't rise higher than its source. So nothing created by God can raise, raise higher. Can, can reason higher than he right. can, right? He, uh, if, when we're, when we're, right? If we're an atheist and we're working on arguments, logic, for why he doesn't exist, and, and we think we're outwitting him and we're more logical than this God of the Bible who's such an idiot, uh, as, the, as the secular world would say, what, they're trying to rise higher than the source, right? People think they're more spiritual than God. People think they're wiser than God. People would, I would never make a world where anyone ever had to go to hell. And, and what, what, what man is always trying to do is rise higher than its source. And he's saying this because what did Satan and man do in the beginning? What did they want to do in the garden? Make themselves they like God. To they were fools, God. Yeah, they wanted to defy gravity and yep. become higher than God. And, and he keeps making this point very subtly. He's building on it, building on it through the whole chapter. 
Okay, so why does what a creature is made of determine how good or bad it can be? Okay, he makes this he makes this argument about like a cat can be bad, a cow can be bad, but as you go up in, in, in the better the stuff the creature is made of, the more wrong it can go. So a normal man can even be isn't even as bad as what? Like a bad An normal angel. man could isn't even as bad as what? A bad angel. A bad angel. Okay. So angels are the highest in, in, in the hierarchy. Angels are very high up. So if an angel goes bad, right, it's going to be very, very bad. So he's coming back to the Satan argument again. Um, and we will judge angels. Why? Why will we judge angels? Because of God's position for God over the angels. Yeah, so in Genesis, it's... it's um, Man, angels, okay? And then when the fall happens, they switch. Mm. Angels are over men. Right. Okay? Then what Jesus does is he, he comes... he created man a little lower than the angels. No, he, 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 he brought him a little lower than the angels. <laughs> so he sends Adam lower than the angels. Okay, the angels are in charge of the earth. The angels are in charge of the garden. Jesus comes and takes it from them. And, and he rises higher than the angels to the seat of heaven next to the Father. And in him we go, and now we are higher than the angels in Jesus. Okay? Now, and when you say angels, you, you're talking about Satan's angels. Well, I'm talking about, yeah, angels in general. We will judge them. Good and bad. Is what we're told about the apostles. Are the same except the difference between the bad ones and the good ones? Well, there are different hierarchies of angels. Okay, but there's still angels. Yeah, but there's still angels, and we will judge them. Right. Just like yeah. there's different we'll races. You're good ones. But we're all human. Yeah. Good job, Michael. Bad job, Satan. Good job, Gabriel. <laughs> go to, go into the right into the so kingdom over here. Saying man was created higher than the angels. Uh, man was the king of the earth, and the angels well, were their servants. I'm rather. So are you talking about that says man was created earth? a little lower than the angels? Yeah. Sent. Sent. Where does it say sent? Where does it say that? I'm not I'm talking about Genesis. Where does it say Genesis? I'm going to have to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, but listen, listen, hold on. But th this is, you have to be careful because when you're doing theology, the process of doing theology is first good and necessary consequence. Okay, you're reading a verse. What is the good and necessary consequence of this verse? Okay, then what you have to do is scripture interprets scripture. Okay, so here you have angels and man in Genesis. Okay, so now let's go throughout the scriptures and see what else the scriptures have to say about man and angels. And then what you're doing is you're putting the story together. You can't just go into Genesis. If you go into Genesis and you're looking for a part where it says man is higher than the angels. I don't know. No, I think man was created a little lower than the angels. I'm not saying that Jesus didn't reverse that. Yeah, so man no, was created to have dominion over the animals and the angels were created as their servants. Instead, some of the angels became their masters. And, and that had to end, and that's what Jesus brought to an end. But, so, but we, we already have admitted that angels have are a, a more glorious or more powerful being than man. So an angel, so we we're talking about this hierarchy of yeah. created beings. So mm -hmm. above man is an angel, because when an angel falls, it's a greater fall than man, or what an angel can do is greater than what a man can do. No? Am I not... Well, see, but, but see, but this is the beauty of the whole design, and, and why it's and, and why there is a mystery about angels. In 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 one sense, how are they greater than men? In another sense, why is it that man rules over them yeah. in the beginning? 
And Genesis does say God created man in his image. In That's his image, picture. not angels. Angels are not made in his image. Doesn't it also say that they're the messengers of God? Messengers of God, right? And, and, and when Satan and Jesus are arguing, one of the things that is said is that the angels will serve Jesus and prevent anything from happening to him because he's the Messiah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that actually is the proper relationship between men and angels. Mm-hmm. So you have this supernatural being... Right? Satan could walk into the room right now, and, we, and, and it's possible for him, because he's a spirit, for us not to see him. That, to me, on one level, is greater than what a man can do. Okay? But a man can come and die on a cross and restore mankind. That seems a little greater than what an angel can do. And so you, you have this, there is a hierarchical structure, but then there's also this, this created structure where these things are not, they're, they're like equal but not equal. They're, like one is greater, but in another sense, the other one is greater. And, and, I, and I think this is, there's a mystery to this in, in a lot of what creation is like. It's similar to how men and women are created. And, and one is greater than the other. And yet one is, you know, the, in, in what sense is a man greater than a woman? In what sense is a woman greater than a man? Well, you, depending on what we're talking about, the women are greater than the men, and the men are greater than the women. It just depends on what we're saying. And, and with angels, I think it, there's a little bit of truth. The why would you value on it? Why does it have to be greater than? Why? Why? Well, I'm not making a value judgment like numbers. Well, to say a woman is greater than a man, or a man is greater than a woman, vice, whichever way we go, it's not greater. It's different. Well, I mean, there is glory in the. In, there, there is a hierarchical structure. You can't say, in one sense, that man is higher than woman. But what, where is man without woman? I mean, this is the point that Jesus is always trying. Like, it's very important because you, you take the scriptures and men will take them and, and go the wrong direction. They'll, take, they'll do false patriarchies. But it, it's not, God didn't want false patriarchies. He wanted true, pa- men do that enough. true patriarchies. <laughs> well, they do matriarchies, which is just as bad as a false patriarchy. Okay. So, um... See how easily we get distracted? Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, I think it did the distracting. <laughs> uh, da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, the human machine. He talks about human beings as a machine. What what do, what do human machines run on? What is Some the type of energy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like. I, did you like how the British guy, if you watch the videos, kept saying vitamins in a funny way? Oh, vitamins. There you go. Vitamins. 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 Himself. Yes, we're made to run on him. Okay, that's the gasoline in the human machine. That's what powers the human machine. Is God. Food isn't what does it, and, and this is why God attaches images of him. Right, images of himself are food for a reason. Right, man doesn't live on bread alone. Jesus is the bread of heaven, because what really is the is the source of our energy and life is him. Okay, so you can in one sense be alive and eat vitamins and food full of vitamins and you can be alive but you're really dead and, and I think this is, this is again there's so many aspects of this that are mysterious because there's well, this unbeliever is clearly alive and yet they are completely dead and um, Adam was told the day you eat of it you shall surely die well he goes on and lives another 800 years or whatever so I mean, I mean so there's mis- mysteries to this whole thing so men worry about clothing and food And Jesus comes and says, you should not worry about those things. You should worry about your relationship with me. Okay, you should worry about what kind of gas is in the car, which is supposed to be God. Um, And we get distracted by vitamins. And and I like it too. You know, long before anyone understood nutrition like we do now, did people eat dinner and benefit from it? Correct. 
Right. Yes. We, we benefited from eating food long before we knew what vitamin D was. Yeah. Okay. We understood milk was good for us, and nobody had to explain to us what was in it. And, and what I like about what he does here is he really challenges uh, moderns because moderns want to understand how it works. Mm. We want lift the hood and show me the function of the engine. Tell me how this thing works. And, and, and all of the things that we're describing here are true and work even if we don't understand them. Yeah. Even if we don't understand what vitamin D is and we understand milk is good for us. These things are good for us even if we don't understand them. And so much of what, what Christians distract themselves with is trying to understand these things like God understands them, okay? And we have to understand that you go so far, and then you praise him, okay? Um, Herman Bavink, the Dutch theologian, said that if theology doesn't end in doxology, then you're doing it wrong, okay? If you get to the point where you're like, man, that was a great study, and you close the book, and you get up, and you walk away, and you're like, I understand these things so well, you're doing theology wrong, okay? If you're studying these things, these mysteries, and you come to the point where you're just, like, worshiping God and praising him and looking to him because it's so mysterious, then you're doing theology correctly, okay? You're studying the Bible correctly. Um, okay. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to the end of the... Okay. So what is it that Jesus did? Uh, to, um, he... So we have this land, it's occupied by an enemy God. <laughs> he's wrested it from man, he's taken it from us, and what did Jesus do? In order to get it back, he died. He died on the cross. <laughs> well, but before that, what did he do? He became a man. He became a man. See, the incarnation, and, and this is partially we're going to get into this, but we're running out of time. So I'll get to it next week. But people tend to think, and even he makes this argument that um, death and resurrection are the most important things that Jesus did, and he says that even. And, and this is where I think C.S. Lewis is he, its getting away from him just a little bit here. Because he, he actually makes the point himself, and, and he says, but he invaded first. So the incarnation, the life and ministry of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus. I, I think one of the problems why we don't have a whole Christ in, in most modern Christians' minds is because we, we fixate on one part of it. Mm. Um, and I would even say, go so far as to say certain churches in Christendom focus on parts of it, right? Like, why is, why is it that Catholics always have a defeated Jesus on a cross? What are they worshiping? And how, over centuries of staring at a defeated Jesus on a cross, how is that going to influence your theology? Okay, so then you get, then you get to, I think we're in this phase now where a lot of people are about the death. Okay, he died and he rose, and he died and he rose, and he died and he rose. And everyone's like, salvation, salvation, salvation. And they're like, okay, that's, that's great. But what did he do after that? Okay, where is he now? So he, the right. Yeah, he yeah. ascended. So then you get some Christians who really fixate on that part, right? And it's all about the lordship of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, forgetting his ministry and the kind of life he lived. You see what I'm saying? There, there are pitfalls all over the place in theology. And one of them is focusing too much on one of these aspects. And the whole Christ is the incarnation of Christ, the life and ministry of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the ascension of Christ. If you have all of those parts and you're considering the whole picture, what you're going to have is, a, is an incarnational life that looks like his, okay, that is full of salvation, that is not concerned about the things of this world because you know your king is in heaven ruling and reigning. You get a more full-orbed Christianity when you consider all of the doctrines. And I understand that this is a radio address that C.S. Lewis is doing. 
And, and he's not saying himself that this is the most important thing, death and resurrection. He says a lot of Christians say it is. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he does not um, settle on one particular atonement theory. And, and this is important to notice. He, do, he did not himself understand the various theories of atonement. Okay, uh, Penal substitutionary atonement is what most of us believe in, even though we didn't know that's what it was called. He doesn't quite come there and say, yes, I believe in penal. He doesn't explain it that way. He's ultimately saying it doesn't matter if you really understand how, how it worked. The point is that you understand it worked. Now, do you guys agree with that? Yes, yeah. I do. Okay, you, you agree. All right, there we got one on the yes side. You agree? Yeah. Okay. If you cannot explain how the atonement actually worked, does that matter as much? As just simply well, believing you it works. We just saying earlier, there's right. mysteries that we can often understand. So, right. all kinds of. Well, you're listening and paying attention, Laura. So just, just believe everything that comes out of your mouth. Well, not, not my mouth, Laura. Not my mouth. There is somebody's mouth. His name is Jesus. Well. So, so I think this is again. We're learning from C.S. Lewis not just theology, but how to do it. And that's what I really like. He's very gracious in this section. He wants mere Christianity. He does not want us getting bogged yeah. down in the various uh, words. Um, yeah, what is penal substitutionary yeah. atonement and how is it different than propitiation, yeah. right? And because you have these different doctrines, and, and he doesn't want that. He doesn't want us being distracted by that. It's about understanding that Jesus came into this world and fixed the problem. And you either believe he did, you either believe there's a problem and that he fixed it, or you don't. And, and he even goes through all of this and at the end of the second chapter he says and if this doesn't work for you toss it he, he doesn't even care if you take what he says at face value whatever use it if it's useful if it's not it's not so and I think it's unrealistic to think that everybody would that you would have to understand mm-hmm. not yeah. everybody then would have to be a theologian and clearly we're mm-hmm. not theologians you know it's yes. it's an unrealistic expectation to understand that you think you're going to understand everything yeah, and I think that uh, increasingly, you know, uh, Joel and I talk about this, is there is a difference between biblical literacy, okay, people who know what the Bible says. People often know what it says. People often know what it says about angels and demons. People often know what it says about the atonement. They, they, they ought to have some familiarity, a deep familiarity, with the content of it. That does not mean, and what often happens in reform circles, is that we all can sit down and pass an SAT test. Right, Like we take the SAT test version of the Bible and we got all of our ducks in a row. That's not what we're after. What we're after is a deep familiarity with the Word of God and, and understanding what it says. And, and, and the fact, right, I believe, help my unbelief. We understand that not everybody is going to or ought to understand these things perfectly. But they at least have to know what it says. And what I find is my, like, my struggle with a lot of Christians isn't so much that they come to the wrong conclusions or not. It's that they don't even know the data to get there. Right? You don't even know if I'm right or not because you don't know the premises. <laughs> and, and, and this is what Christian ministry is about. Read your Bibles, read your Bibles, read your Bibles. Pray, fellowship, think about these things, worship God, right? Do the research, look at it, and then go worship God. And if you're doing this process, in, on one level, controversial, the conclusion you come to isn't nearly as important as the process sometimes. And I think we've gotten obsessed about conclusions. Mm-hmm. And I think from Lewis, he's really opening the door here. Come in. Come into Christendom with us. And come and delight in these things, whether you understand them or not. And I think that's a great invitation. And it's very useful when we go into apologetics. Okay. 
Um, Anne, would you pray for us? Thank you, Lord, for the beautiful day. Thank you for the church. Um, thank you for the time to study C.S. Lewis and learn more about um, near Christianity and how to apply it to our own lives. I bless uh, Michael and the choir today. Um, give them the words and the information that we need to open our ears to listen and hear and may we go around away with a new way of uh, living life and serving others. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks everyone. If anybody wants to borrow a book on the fall of man, uh, theology, I can loan it to you. Or the atonement for that matter. I got both. Okay. Thanks. Have a great day.